next white. Good to see everybody here this morning. Definitely uh, appreciate the uh, song kind of kicking things off. In light of uh, yesterday, when, when it comes to uh, greater things taking place, I, I really want to, uh, whoa, how you doing? <laughs> really want to commend you guys for uh, what took place yesterday. It was really incredible on so many different levels, seeing the level of involvement, uh, the generational span that we had out there. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, head down to Skid Row, but I think the part of it that I got the biggest kick of was right here in the parking lot, just seeing all of our kids that were in the mix from those who are just barely old enough to walk, wanting to help and loading the bags and helping make the sandwiches, and uh, it was just really incredible. And I want to thank in particular our, uh, just the individuals that headed up each of the individual projects for all their hard work, all the effort, all the time that's gone into really making these things very successful. You know, I think the, the thing that really encapsulated it for me the most, though, and it's amazing when we give, you know, it's, there's all the different issues that we have on the front side, the time commitment, there may be money commitment, having to load up the kids, inconvenience of maybe getting up a little bit earlier in the morning, and we're talking about how we're helping others. But I think one of the things that I've, I've seen through the years, and I know for those of you who got gotten out there yesterday, which is pretty much everybody here, uh, I, I would venture to guess you may have gone out to meet needs, but you had some needs of your own met yesterday. Uh, there was a, a woman down at Skid Row who had these really beat up tennis shoes, wasn't a whole lot of material left to them, and uh, I just kind of saw that caught this movement, my peripheral vision off to the right, and uh, I look over and, you know, she's got these brand new socks she just put on. And somebody will probably help me out with what it is that I saw in the way of the shoes. They kind of looked like ballet slippers, but they were tennis shoes. And uh, anyway, she had them on, and she's like dancing and grooving, and she's looking down at her shoes. And I looked over, and I'm like, you're styling. And she laughed, and she's all, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's like, it's just amazing what we have and how we sometimes lose sight of how incredibly blessed each and every one of us are on an individual basis, but I, I totally felt yesterday that I went to give, but I got so much more. I think mean, hearing uh, Chip talk about his daughter, he said Jasmine at the end of the day, and she was incredible. She's behind the little workstation out there, and she's kind of barking out orders, and she's full on interacting with everybody that comes by, and she's all, Steve, do we have any bags? Do we have any bags? These people need bags. So I run inside, and I empty a bunch of stuff, and I'm going through, you know, the remnants of what we had in there, and I keep cycling through getting her bags, but... The thing that was so incredible about it is she stated at the end of the day to her dad and her mom, I think my heart grew a little bit today. And isn't that what this is all about? You know, and it's exactly the kind of individual that, that Jesus Christ was. When we look at what he was willing to give up for us. You know, we've started our new series this month entitled Make It Count. And last week, Marco talked about decisions that count. Uh, what I'm going to be discussing here, as you can see, is it's amazing how the decisions in our life really have major implications for our life and what our life will look like. And I think a lot of us had to experience, had the opportunity to experience yesterday a life that counts. Amen. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. You know, we, uh, we're going to kind of flash back to the first century a little bit, and uh, our pr predominant passage, or actually chapter today, will be Acts 10. There'll be a couple little detours from there, but very few. So you might want to go ahead and open up to it or turn it on or whatever it is when it comes to your Bible. And just keep in mind that's our primary text today. 
But we're going to look at a life that really counted in the first century. And there's something incredible that came out of this individual's life. We're going to look at the life of Cornelius. And the thing that's so amazing is how God took notice of this Gentile that had a life that was living, a life that counted. You know, uh, in Acts 10, it was a major turning point in history at this point in time in the church. It was about 41 A.D., about seven, eight years after the persecution struck out and the Jews were scattered to all over the uh, known world at that point in time. And it's an account of a Gentile who was about to be ushered into the Jewish fellowship. Now, it's uh, one of my favorite conversions in the Bible, and you'll probably be able to figure that out here in a minute. In Acts 10, verse 1, it says, In Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now, uh, the whole Italian Regiment thing in and of itself is kind of cool. This guy's a centurion. A regiment, also referred to as a cohort, is a larger group of people. There were uh, ten, ten of these in Caesarea. This gentleman headed up one that in group involved uh, six cohorts or regiment, which was the equivalent of somewhere in the realm of 400 to 600 people. And with that, this guy had to have been around going after it for a while, and that in order to get to the particular level that he was at, it would normally take around 12 to 15 years to accomplish this just with time served. He also had to have had some incredible administrative skills, so he had to have been literate based on the size of the group he was over, communication with Rome, communication with the local politicians, and those in charge there. And it's just amazing to see the impact that this guy had on a number of different levels. But the thing and the reason that this is such, my one of my favorite conversions is the very first Gentile conversion was Italian, folks! I'll just let you figure that one out on your own. But uh, with that, looking at what went on in Cornelius' life is just, really, again, it's just short of amazing, knowing that this guy was a Gentile, that he served in the Roman army, and that this guy was actually an individual that feared God. We'll see that in our next passage here. And the, uh, the first thing that I want us to think about today is that if you and I are going to have a life that counts, we need to love God and love others. Again, if our life is truly going to count for something, we need to love God first and foremost, because if we do that and we understand what Christ has done for us personally, it will totally give us the ability to love others the way God expects us to. And in verse 2, we got this Gentile, this Roman soldier, and it says he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. You know, for those of you that know anything about Roman history, I mean, this guy really breaks the mode in that there's a uh, war god. Anybody know who that is? Any history guy, buffs out there? The god of Mars, man. This incredibly terrible, crazy god of power, strength, and might. And for him to give that up as a Roman soldier is huge as it in and of itself. And these guys used to bring around their little portable shrines with them, and they'd have all their gods, and they spend time worshiping and burning incense and praying to their gods and, you know, really expected their victory in this particular situation to come from Mars. But this guy realized there was something bigger going on. And he was done with the worthless gods of his forefathers and realized there was something important in this God that the Jews were worshiping. You know, it talks about him being a God-fearer. 
That was a technical term basically for anybody that was of non-Jewish descent that had a relationship with God. Probably one of the bigger stumbling blocks for uh, the Romans at this point in time probably would have been this little thing called circumcision, which I don't think I probably have to go into a whole lot of detail there. Most of us know what that entailed. And I have a feeling that's why a lot of these guys are kind of on the side of the road there. Yeah, we love God, but I don't know about uh, taking that particular step moving forward. And with that, we can see that what was going on in his household, not only did he love and fear God, guys, his entire household did. They were devoted to God. They were God-fearers. And again, if we're going to have a life that counts, one of the other aspects that's super important in that life is that what did he do? Why did his life count? Why did God take notice of him? He prayed regularly. And that's something that went on in his household. And most of us that have been around... I mean, even, even before a Christian, I remember certain things in my life that would trigger that. That, you know, usually I've been doing really crummy, something really bad just happened. It's like, hey, God, you know what, man, I'm telling you, if you get me out of this particular fix, I'm yours, baby, from here on out. Any of you ever pray prayer like that? You know, in the minute, it, you know, it, it gets answered, instead of realizing, wow, man, God's really cool. He took care of me here. And instead of you know, holding up my end of the bargain, I'd flip right back into whatever it was I was doing before. But, you know, prayer is important. It gives us the ability to connect. We Basically, in those situations, we untie God's hands and give Him the ability to work incredibly miraculous things in our lives. So we need to make sure that that is a part of our regular conduct moving forward. You know, we see that He gave generously. You know, if, again, if you're going to have a life that counts, we need to love God, we need to love others, we need to fear God, we need to pray regularly, we need to make sure that we're involved generously with others if we're going to have that life that counts. In uh, verse 3, this is really cool when we see the, the degree of interaction that Cornelius had with God and how God received it. It says, one day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! This can have to rock your world a little bit, you know. Verse 4 says, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Pagan! Gentile! I mean, wouldn't it be cool to know that that's exactly how God feels about us? And we're given the steps here that he was able to facilitate this with. Loving God, being devout, being fearful of God, understanding that God's got expectations, but going even beyond just the head aspect of it, but engaging. Incredible actions that took place. Giving to others. You know, if we're going to live a life that counts, we need to be men and women who pray regularly, and are engaged regularly, that have the actions that can show others that we truly believe and love and fear God. You know, it was so incredible again to see just what took place yesterday, knowing that every, all the participation that took place out here, guys, that was a memorial offering to God. God sat up and took note of what we were doing here in South Bay and throughout the coastal L.A. region. One of the other things that I appreciate about it, Cornelius, and we'll see his, his ability to take direction. As we continue here, we need to have humility. He was given direction in verse 5. 
to, it says one day at about three in the afternoon, oh, excuse me, let me, uh, where are we at here? Well, in verse 5, basically, he goes on and he's given direction to go down to Peter, who's at this uh, guy, this, uh, another guy by the name of Peter, this, the uh, tanner at this home. And he, he lets him know that he goes, look, you need to go send your guys down to Peter, bring him back. He's got some stuff that he's going to be able to fill you in on about God. And there's some aspects of your life that aren't totally on straight here. And that ends up taking place in this interaction. We have Peter who uh, is getting ready for lunchtime in Acts 10. Are you guys hungry? Not yet. Breakfast? He's, he uh, smells the food being prepared, and he kind of slips into a trance. And uh, kind of a funky trance, because what ends up happening is you got this picnic blanket, four corners, that's kind of floating up and down. And there's all these different animals, four-legged animals in it, and there's birds and there are reptiles, and uh, I know Henry and Andy will probably appreciate this. God says to him, get up and go kill. Get ready, man. Take care of your dinner. And then, you know, Peter's thing is, well, you know, Lord, uh, I mean, come on. I mean, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. You know, so what, is, what, what does the Lord do again? P- Peter's got this thing. I don't know what it is, but the Lord comes at him again. Get up. Go kill. And Peter argues with him again and the blanket or the picnic blanket, whatever, goes up and down. This takes place three times. Peter tells him again, no. And God gives him some further direction. Finally, Peter taps out. I don't know what it is with Peter. He seems to have this thing with threes. You know, there's the thing with the rooster. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Then uh, John 21, you know, same thing again. I mean, there's these threes. Jesus has to kind of tighten them up three times when it comes to really the kind of love that Jesus was expecting from Peter relationally moving forward and what he was going to have to demonstrate for those around him moving forward as well. So while this is going on, Cornelius' guys show up, verse 17. It says, while Peter was wondering about the message of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, there are men looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous man and a God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, this is something I think we need to keep in mind, too. This is really kind of a cool thing going on with Peter. We've got these guys that are really polar opposites on so many different levels. And then we see that Cornelius submitted to God and took the direction and sent the people down to Peter. And, you know, there's something to be said about following God's direction. Amen? We see Peter in this really special, privileged situation here by God told to go share Jesus with someone, with Cornelius. And I think just really understanding, if God is willing to do that for Peter, don't you think we have those same opportunities today? Of course we do. But do we take that path when it comes to really living a life that counts? Do we have that degree of humility, as Cornelius demonstrated when he was given direction to get some help with his own spiritual walk? 
Are we, do we have the degree of humility that Peter had? You know, sometimes I'm kind of like Peter, a little ADD probably, need to hear things multiple times, sometimes for it to totally connect. But when it finally did, what did he do? He had the humility to follow the direction. And you might say, well, you know, yeah, but that's Peter. You know, he was a disciple of Christ. And, you know, I'm not important enough to talk to someone about Christ. Uh, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an elder. I'm not a Sunday school teacher, the candlestick maker, whatever. And, you know, that's not true. You know, you may not be those things, which is true, but really, you know, that's okay. You're just the right kind of person that God loves to work through. You know, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27... It reads, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. You know, if you insist on saying that you're not important enough to share Jesus with someone, well, you know what? That makes you even more qualified, based on what we just read here. You know, God isn't into bragging rights. He doesn't care who you are, where you come from, what you're doing. There's no one in church, in God's kingdom, that's more important than another. And I think, you know, we need to remember that. This is something I remember hearing as a young Christian, and it's still true today. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all equal before God. Especially if we've been bathed in the blood of Christ through the waters of baptism. Then we're pure before God. You know, why is it important to have a love that counts? A prayer life that counts? Why is it important to have humility that counts? Because God cares. God cares about those things. Why did he take notice of Cornelius? Because this is the kind of life that Cornelius was living. Living like Cornelius sets us up for a life that's blessed. A life that's peace-filled. We're really in in a world, there's not a whole lot of peace. Any of you use a little bit more peace of mind? You know, God blesses our love, our prayers, and our humility because that's when we're living a life before God that counts. You know, just kind of a, we've been talking about this as we started out the year here about the need to have an impact in our communities. And it's got to be a two-fold front that we're attacking. Not only do we need to be going after the physical needs, which has been an area that's been really lacking, but it's just this past year, it's been amazing, the culture shift. The projects we've got going on, the impact that's being had. Well, we were down at uh, Skid Row yesterday. There's a guy who Simon met because the single's been going down there. Um, Jesse, who pulled us aside and said, hey, look, I've got some problems with my truck. I told Simon I was going to come out to church. You know, I may not be able to have it scored away by Sunday, but let him know I'm coming. I want to place membership with your church. You know, we had to, I mean, yeah, that's an awe moment, Amen. We had to kind of explain to him he didn't need anything from his pastor to to kind of free him up from where he was going to bring on in. And, you know, there was a whole litany of things that he he had questions about. But it was so incredible to know that this was the impact that was had. And that's where we've got to make the transition. We need to meet the physical needs, and that gives us the ability to move forward and meet people's spiritual needs as well. But we need to do both. That's God's expectation moving forward. And when it gets down to the bottom line here, you know what? God reaches those that want to know Him. And when, pe- when people reach out, we need to be prepared. You know, uh, uh, Barna Institute, they do a lot of research on churches and such. And 
one of their recent studies says that less than 3% of the non-Christian people in the world ever come to a church building. And apparently only 3% of these world seekers for Jesus ever come into a church. You know, it's, it's kind of cool. We experienced that a little bit. We've been doing some stuff with the Internet. And uh, I don't know if Tish is in the mix tonight or today or not, but she is like a bulldog, man. I mean, she's got the radar on. She goes after it. There's been a number of occasions where we've had people that, you know, found us on the Internet, have come on out for the first time, and she makes sure she gets over and introduces herself. And there's been occasions where she's gotten them up so that I have the opportunity to meet them. And that's preparation. We've got to be out of our area of comfort. You know, we, you know I, I'm kind of like that, too. I come in and I sit in the same place. Part of that is I need the easy access to the stage. But, you know, I look out at most of you guys. You're in the same place you sit every week. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we do need to be aware of what's going on around us. We've got to get outside of our comfort zone a little bit and realize, you know what? I don't think that person's ever been here before. I don't remember seeing them. And not leaving it there, but going over and introducing yourself, having some interaction with them, being warm, loving, affectionate. These are all things we appreciate, right? This is how God's wired us. This is how God's created us. Really understanding how incredibly important that is if we're not going to be just like every other church, which... Artesia Boulevard, PCH, guys, there's tons of them. But we've got to be walking in a way that's in accordance with what God's established. So you know what? People realize, you know what? God's in this place. And this is a place where we can come and worship God and be impacted and get direction and be able to live life to the full. So in 1 Peter, excuse me, um, yeah, 1 Peter 3.15, I must be hitting this button on my own here. Or maybe I don't, have a, I don't have a slide for that one. Well, I've got it here. So anyways, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always prepare, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, so that you may give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, if someone comes, guess what? Very likely, God sent them. And it's also very likely they came to you because, you know what? They know you. They trust you. I mean, how many of us have family members or friends that have asked us about our faith? I would imagine pretty much most of us, if not all of us, at one point in time or another. You know, you don't need to raise your hands on this one, but I would imagine most of you have been asked the question, why do you believe what you believe? When that one comes, how do we do? In light of what Peter has established here, are we prepared? You know, do we know what to say? It's super important that we have, we, we remember what our lives were like before we became Christians. Where we're at now ain't perfect. But the blessings that we have, the family that we have, the village that we have, the ability to have an impact within all of our lives, on our kids, even events like yesterday that took place. I mean, if you weren't here, would you have been participating in something like that? Some of you maybe. But I mean, just even looking at numerically what took place this year versus last year, we had about 40% participation last year. We're at about 120, 130% right now for the region, and we, all of our events even haven't taken place yet. But why is that? Because we all have people in our lives that care, that want us to live out the gospel to the full. And with that, lives change. Things take place. Things happen. And, you know, if someone comes to you, it's always a good idea to know what to tell them. You know, last week, or I guess it was a week or two ago at our, uh, kind of our kickoff for the year for South Bay, everybody got a transformonial outline in their handout. Now, I don't want to see hands on this, but... If you're not able to really give that testimony and you haven't filled it out, 
probably need to go back and fill it out because Peter says we need to be prepared. We need to be able to give an answer. We need to be able to explain why we believe what we believe moving forward. And uh, that all falls within the realm of wanting to have a life that counts and having the humility that will enable you to follow the direction that God calls you to. Amen? In verse uh, 24 of uh, Acts 10, it says, following day, Peter arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called them together, his relatives and his close friends. You know, it's just amazing to see, again, the spiritual focus this guy has. It's not just about him. But we could see that we knew at the very beginning of the passage to talk about how his family was devoted, that they feared God, and they were willing to make a difference with others. I mean, the, the degree of love that Cornelius had was phenomenal in that, who was he taking care of? The translations vary. Some say the people, some say the Jews. But the inference, the translation, the way things are knocked out there is he was basically being generous with the Jewish people. That is such an anomaly for a Roman soldier. I mean, they're, they're so to the other extreme where, generally speaking, they come into a community, they run roughshod over it, they're ripping people off, there's all kinds of abuses taking place. This guy's demonstrating God, godly love, unconditional love. It didn't matter what walks they, they came from. It didn't matter what culture, what religion, what nationality. He just went after it. And his family was involved on that same level. I mean, it's so cool to me to see this, that he knew, and not only that, there's a faith issue here, which I, I just kind of hit me. Peter wasn't there yet. But he knew because God told him, go send those guys down to Peter. Peter's going to come back. He's got a message for you guys. What do we see here in verse 24? It says, Cornelius was expecting them. And he had called together his relatives and his close friends because he knew there was something special about to take place. And he wanted them to be able to participate in that. So as we continue, it says, as Peter entered the house in verse 25, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up. I'm just only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Guess what? Peter finally figured it out here. What was going on with the blankets? You know what? I really shouldn't be here, but you know what? I just had this incredible revelation that you guys are cool. You're not unclean. You're not impure. You know why? Because God made you. So it says, when I was, was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Kind of argued with God a little bit there, but I guess when it got right down to it, he decided to go. It says, may I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembers your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So, you know, Cornelius kind of fills him in on the vision here and his commendation before God, how he, you know, was noticed, known by the, the Jewish nation for really getting out there, meeting needs, taking care of those that were less fortunate than him, and finally the direction that he got from Peter to seek him out. And then in verse 33 it says, So I sent for you immediately. You know, for those of you that... Maybe this is your first time, you don't totally know about the God thing, the Christianity thing. So one thing that's awesome about the response that we see here with Cornelius, it says, I sent for you immediately. You know, if you want a life that counts, 
If you know deep down in your heart that this is right, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. Sometimes it can be motivated out of guilt. Sometimes it can be motivated out of need. Sometimes it just may be, you know, you realize that there's, there's this vacuum, there's this hole in your life, and God puts this in all, all of us. It's in our DNA. There's a void without God. I want to commend you for coming, but don't let it stop here. Have the kind of heart that Cornelius had. You may not see somebody coming up to you today when this is all said and done, and if you don't, we'll continue to talk about it in the church here. Why don't you take the initiative like Cornelius did and pull somebody aside here today and ask them why they believe what they believe and how you can get help really coming to a conviction yourself to really invite God 100% into your life. Amen? So Cornelius says, so I sent for you immediately. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything God has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent. You know, the message that we have is exactly what Peter preached in Acts 2. He walks through, you know, who Jesus Christ is, what he came for, that he died for sinners, that... There was this need for forgiveness. The blood that Jesus shed gave us the ability for that. As we know in Acts 2, he talked about the need to be baptized for forgiveness of sin and the ability to receive the Holy Spirit. And he lays all these things out. Then he continues in verse 44. He says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And, you know, for those of you, tongues, the Greek is glossa, which means a language, a nation. It's a distinguished form of speech. So we have all these people, a number of people from different, probably different dialects, different parts of the country. We've got Jews, we've got Gentiles. And there's this confirmation, this stamp of approval from God for Peter and these Jewish onlookers that, you know what, these guys are no different than you. Just as the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost in Acts 2, I want you to understand they're receiving the same gift, and this is so that the Gentiles worldwide will have the opportunity to be ushered into the kingdom. You know, it's incredible to see how God works. With this, Peter continues in verse 47, he says, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. You know, I mentioned it earlier, but when we look at Peter, we look at Cornelius, these guys were polar opposites in so many ways. Yet there was one thing that did bind them together, and that was their love for God. Their relationship with God and prayer, and they surrendered to God. Their lives not only counted then, but they count 2,000 years later today as we look at this passage. You know, from Jew to Gentile, we see God meeting them in the middle. And their submission to God ushered in the very thing that Jesus died for, which is that salvation would go out to just the Jews? No, we know. God came, Jesus stated, that salvation would go to all nations. You know, in the same way, our lives can count. But wouldn't it be amazing if our lives counted long after we were gone? You know, teens, I want you to listen up for a sec. I really want to commend you guys. For those of you that have decided to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, that's an amazing stand. 
Cornelius was different. You guys are different. And you need to rejoice in that difference. The world's going to want to beat you down. Satan's going to want to beat you down. Try and get you to, you know, kind of parade around out there like everybody else. Blend in, do what everybody else is doing. But the life that you're living right now can change the lives of other teens. Some of you know, we've already experienced some of the pain and agony that comes in life because of decisions that we make. You can help others not go down that same road. You can help others step into the right kind of marriage, raise the right kind of kids, right kind of grandkids, those that live lives that count, that really make a difference for all generations. And you guys got a head start on a lot of us. I just want to encourage you to continue to persevere in those areas. And God will use you powerfully. Your name will be spoken about long after you're gone. And we'll all, you know, get to hook up and talk about it in heaven when we get there too. But anyway, you know, singles, I mean, this thing with Simon, I just thought it was incredible to see because of them deciding to take those projects on outside of MLK, they're already making a major difference. You know, when it comes to our marriage ministry, that was so awesome. I, I love uh, just the, the, the zeal and enthusiasm, and the, this fire that's burning in Chip these days when it comes to the projects that, that he's involved in. And, you know, just even the way he's kind of selling it when he's up here, man. He's passionate about it. We're going to get everybody involved. If you're feeling guilty, don't. You can go tomorrow. I mean, I love it. You know, I, I love seeing his daughter out there being able to be a part of what God calls us to be a part of. And just realizing, you know what, there's some seeds that were planted there. That's going to help her with her journey moving forward. You know, God's given us an incredible opportunity and responsibility and an opportunity that will outlast our lives if we're really willing to conduct ourselves the way God has called us to. You know, there's a sister in the, uh, used to be in the East region years ago. Uh, she was converted in our uh, campus ministry. Single mom, a lot of challenges. Continued with school. We kind of fell out of touch. She moved. She actually moved to Vegas. And we recently reconnected. And uh, not necessarily in the kind of circumstances you like to reconnect with somebody. She was in a hospital. But she'd been restored to God. She was like the prodigal son. She went off, did her thing, uh, ended up with lung cancer, throat cancer from secondhand smoke. She worked at the casinos in Vegas. And uh, we went to see her. She'd had multiple throat surgeries. Uh, she couldn't speak anymore. She had a kind of a hospital version of an iPad, which we'd ask her questions, and she'd write down answers. She'd ask us questions, and that's kind of how we interacted. But the thing that was amazing and we thought she probably would have a little bit longer than she did. But even though her life was fading, and there were so many challenges in her life, she wasn't bitter. She totally loved God, was grateful to be a Christian, grateful to be a disciple. And the month before she passed, her mom and dad became Christians. That's a life that counts. I don't know what the situation is with Tichelle's daughter right now, but I guarantee you her mom's life's going to continue to work in her life, even though Tichelle's passed. And this is the opportunity that we have, church. This is the opportunity we have as Christians. In 1 Peter 1, verse 7, it says, Remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. And there's implications here. It says, He will judge or reward you according to what you do. You know, when you think through your, your friends and neighbors, any friends or neighbors remind you of Cornelius? 
You know, there's a lot of God-fearing people out there, but do they necessarily have it on straight? And we're in a position where we can really help with that. You know, in Acts 10, verse 22, it talked about how Cornelius was well-spoken of by the entire nation of Jews. That's incredible as a non-Christian. And I think just really understanding that, you know, some of you may be on that journey, and this doesn't take away whether or not you've got it on straight biblically right now. If you're here and you love God, you're in the right place. And we can see this with Cornelius. Cornelius loved God. He was making a difference, but he didn't have it totally on straight. And I think really understanding, he was devout to God, that wasn't enough. He was humble and and sincere, that didn't equal salvation. He was charitable, but you know guys, we can't buy our way into heaven. And he was a person of prayer, yet salvation was the very thing that was still needed in his life. You know, there's a a story of this cop who pulled this guy over. And really, the reason he pulled him over is this woman who was at a stoplight. She was kind of fiddling around with some papers on the front seat of her car, and light turned green. She's still messing around with papers. Light turned red, and this guy just starts flipping out. He's pounding on his steering wheel. He's cursing up a storm. And, you know, the cop's sitting right behind him watching all this go on. And while the guy's going through his annex, you know, the cop walks up. He's got his gun drawn, and he taps on the window. And the guy starts screaming, you can't arrest me for this, blah, 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 blah. And the cop just didn't even want to hear it. He goes, you know what? Let's go. Cuffs him, puts him in the back seat of his car. Two hours later, he's released from his holding cell. And, you know, the gentleman that had been arrested, he says to him, See, I knew you couldn't arrest me for me, whatever it was that was going on in my car. I can scream. I can do whatever I want in my car. He goes, You're going to be hearing from me and my attorney. The cop says to him, He goes, I didn't arrest you for what was going on in your car. He goes, You know, at first I'm thinking, Okay, you're just kind of a jerk, you know, screaming, whatever. You missed a light. Big deal. He goes, but I, looked, I took another look at your car, and there was a cross hanging down from your rearview mirror. And I noticed the Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker on the back of your car and a little fish. And it dawned on me, there's no way if you were a Christian this could be your car based on the way you were conducting yourself. He goes, I arrest you for stealing the car. <laughs> Cornelius had an incredible reputation. It's humorous. It is. I, I, I laugh. But you need to ask yourself this morning, what is your reputation? What's your reputation in your neighborhood, in your school, PTA? You know, when you're at the baseball field, soccer field, football field, watching your kids play ball. You know, some of those parents get a little psychotic out there sometimes. You know, is there a contrast? Would those that know you give you the same kind of recommendation that the Jews gave Cornelius for his conduct? And because of his conduct, God used that to help usher him into the kingdom. So you never think, brothers and sisters, that our good deeds go unnoticed by God. But let's make sure that we've got them to be noticed by God. Amen? Paul reassures us in Hebrews 6, verse 10, that God is not unjust. He will not forget your work, love that you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. You know, Cornelius was a man who reached out to God and inherited the incredibly abundant blessing of life. We need to make sure that we follow the example of Cornelius in our own lives. In order to live a life that counts, we must love God and we must love others, amen, in a way that counts before God. In order to have a life that counts, we must have a life of prayer that counts. And again, in order to have that life that counts, we must be humble to God's direction 
so that when we strive after these things that we've talked about here today, we can commit our hearts, our mind, our love to these things and people. God will remember us. God will enable our lives to live on long after we're gone. Amen? God bless.